Hello there everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. As usual to my left is my co-host Mr. Felipe Amorim. Welcome back sir, how's it going? Yeah man, we're all good. Good, good, yeah. We've had a little bit of a break. We were, we've been frantically, I don't know if any of you saw on the social media, we were trying to get together to record some episodes and we had so much stuff, didn't we? Tube strikes, petrol prices increasing... Gigs at short notice, gig cancellations, which mean we couldn't get together. A tour. A tour. <laughs> In between all that, a tour as well. Yeah, so yeah, we do apologise for missing out on an episode last week, but, you know, we, like we said, we could have done it over Zoom, but it's nah, just better we when we're together. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So hopefully this makes up for, uh, for what we missed last week, and I think it will, because we are talking about a band who, up until maybe three months ago, I knew of by name and by the hits, so to speak, but only until we actually decided to do them and talk about them sort of soon did I realise how good they were. And that was the ultimate power trio, Rock's first ever supergroup, Cream. So big, Cream. big, yeah. Um, as most of you know, uh, Cream consists of Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce, three incredible musicians for def- different reasons, um, got together in 1966. Uh, but Felipe, you want to talk a bit about the stuff before Cream? Well, yeah. The interesting thing about Cream was uh, both uh, Jack Bruce... Hold on. We need to start the episode. Oh, yes. We need to start And again, it, it's a coffee episode, not a beer not episode. A beer. <laughs> Hold on, you're going to burn your hands like that. It's, 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 you it's slightly that. less rock and roll than usual. So, here we go. da da The episode begins. Yay. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Ready. Your cup's oh, there, yeah. sir. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, sir. Um, so, yeah, we did make a little mistake as we thought we cited that Emerson, Lake and Palmer were possibly rock, Rock's first supergroup. Uh, and when we say supergroup, we mean a group who has come together from members of other bands. Um, so that they were not famous, but known beforehand. Emerson, Lake and Palmer will change our statement to them being Prog's first supergroup. <laughs> yeah. But uh, by definition, I think a lot of music be. music historians and critics cite Cream as Rock's first supergroup. And you want to talk a bit about yeah, that? I think it, yeah, I think it's fair to say that because uh, most people don't know uh, the bands they were playing with before. But as individual musicians, they were already regarded as some of, of the best in England. Yes. And, um, well... Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce played with Alexis Corner's uh, Blues Incorporated, which was a really, really important band uh, in the rock and blues scene in the UK. And also they've played with, uh, what's the other one, Graham Bond? The Graham Bond Organisation, yeah. Organization. Something... Yeah, so both those groups, they were experimenting with blues and a bit yeah. of jazz. So uh, they were pretty much in charge of making that transition between those, you know, classic uh, approaches to blues and jazz, to something that goes more towards rock and roll and more, you know, experimental than yeah. than, than, than the other bands. Do you remember at university, we, we had a history of popular music lecture, which I did speak about in a previous episode, where we learned about the background of certain Shout music styles. Shout out to Paul Scott. Shout out to Paul Scott, yeah. our tutor. I don't know if he's listening, but I don't expect we're factually correct enough for him to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Paul was always a stickler for He would for say that we're wrong about something. Or man. he'd want us to cite our references yeah. if we said it. But Paul, awesome lessons. Thank you for the lessons. Yeah, you've inspired we, us. We, you've literally inspired us to do this. So if yeah. you are listening, thank you. But Paul was... He, he talked in those lectures so much about Alexis Corner. Now, what Alexis Corner is so 
why he's so significant is because he was pivotal in bringing over American blues musicians to England. Yeah. That is huge because what that started in England was what they called the British Blues Invasion, which is where you had people coming, uh, blues musicians coming over from America and not taking over the British blues scene, but moulding it in a different way. Yeah. And what you ended up having was Alexis Corner. What was his band called? Alexis uh, Corner's... Blues Incorporated. The Blues Incorporated. Um, I think John Mayle was American as well, because John Mayle's Blues Breakers was a huge act, because that's who Eric Clapton started Exactly. With. Eric Clapton played with the Yardbirds, yes. uh, with Jeff Beck and uh, Jimmy Page. They didn't actually play the three of them no, together. No, Jimmy Page and Beck were in together. Yeah. Clapton and Beck were together, but I don't think Clapton and Page were ever together. Exactly. But... It, they they were all part of that band, and the Yardbirds yeah. they kind of shaped the way um, those guys think about music and how to bring blues into a heavier yeah. uh, uh, um, approach. And that that's what Jeff Beck did with his first solo album. That's what Jimmy Page did with Zeppelin, and obviously that's the the, the direction that Clapton was taking as well. Yeah, uh, that came from the Yardbirds, but also well, the Yardbirds they they ended up being more. Uh, a pop band at some point and well, Clapton was really unhappy with that's that. why Clapton left because he felt and he saw and heard the Yardbirds going in this yeah. poppy direction and he and said he no, I want to go towards the blues <laughs> he said I love the blues um, but just going back to Alexis Corner we got to say mm. you know just give him a little shout out um, because what he did changed British music because he brought over a, the, 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 the artists who were pioneering I don't want to say blues altogether in America, but electric blues, let's call it that. He would bring these artists over and basically put on showcases for American blues artists to show the British, this is what we've been doing, doing stateside. And then you've got people like Clapton, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, taking influence. Influence from and doing showcases. their own version of it. And then after that, doing their own version of it. You're yeah, right. Yeah, isn't it because, isn't it you know, there's a cultural background difference as well. Because, you know... Um, you you can listen to what the the Americans are doing, but you're not American. You're not you you, yeah. you have a different background altogether. So your uh, vision of their music is going to be something different. So you're yeah. going to do your own thing, and I think that's what the British musicians were doing at the time. Uh, not trying uh, necessarily to sound exactly like no. the their influences, but should take it into another direction. And uh, Clapton, and yeah, rock, 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 rock. that's what Clapton <laughs> did with, uh, not only with Yardbirds, but with the uh, John Mayo's Blues Breakers. Yeah. When he actually became famous as, as a as a soloist, as an instrumentalist, isn't it? When he was playing with John Mayo, everyone was talking about his guitar skills. Yeah, exactly. when he became God. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they formed in 1966. And like we said, this is Rock's first supergroup. So they were all playing with other different people. Um, where is it here? Uh, Clapton was playing with the Yardbirds and John Mayo's Blues Breakers. Uh, Ginger Baker was playing with the Graham Bond organization. And Jack Bruce was playing with Powerhouse and Manfred Mann. So they'd all come from these bands. Now, what was interesting is that the way that I, we just spoke about uh, Clapton loving the blues side and really wanting to push the blues forward. Baker and Bruce were not blues musicians, were they? They were not jazz musicians. yeah. They, they could play the blues, yeah, but they were jazz musicians. And they were two of the most sought-after jazz session musicians in England at the time. 
and Clapton wanted them specifically in his band. This is a funny story of how they formed. Clapton approached Baker and said, I want to do this project. I want it as a trio. I want it to be blues-based, and I want us to try more stuff out, this, that, and the other. Baker was really happy to do this because he wasn't happy with how Graham Bond was abusing alcohol and drugs at the time. He wanted out of that. Clapton then said to Baker, we can do this project, but only if Jack Bruce is on bass. And what people don't know is that Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker they worked get together on. before. They, didn't, they get didn't get on. For anyone who's followed our Today in Rock and Roll page on Instagram, I did a reel about this with a little fact. They hated each other. Cream was almost destined to fail from the start because in previous bands, I, th I think they both played for the Graham Bond organization at one point, Baker and Bruce. They fought with each other. They sabotaged each other's instruments on stage. I don't know how. Um, I'm thinking maybe cutting a drum skin or snapping <laughs> some bass, bass uh, strings. Um, so did I say, yeah, drum skin or bass strings? Imagine that. God. Um, but... <laughs> That that was the defining factor for Clapton. And I suppose in the end, we need to thank Clapton that he tried to make it work. Because he insisted on it. He right? insisted like, I want on this it. specific lineup. Yeah. And imagine what well, Jack Bruce was in the end. He was the proper lead singer in the band, isn't it? Yeah. Clapton wasn't singing that many songs. Yeah. Uh, and songwriter to an extent. Yes, exactly. Lyricist. And it's like you couldn't have Cream without him for sure. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, give him Clapton that he actually insisted on that, even knowing that those guys couldn't, you know, uh, couldn't work together for too long. He probably knew yeah. well, the they, band they, would fall apart. Yeah, that the, they agreed to put aside their differences for this project because it was unique. Yeah. The stuff Clapton was showing to them and telling them that he wanted to do, they hadn't heard this stuff before, so they were interested. And I think the dynamic that we have here is very fascinating. Two jazz musicians and one blues musician. Yeah. Now that is... Although jazz is not organized, well, what I'm trying to get at that's, is that jazz is unorganized. That's, that's jazz is organized compared to strong blues. statement. Yeah. <laughs> jazz is not organized. <laughs> jazz is is no. I'm saying jazz is organized, <laughs> and blues is unorganized. If you think in terms Nonsense. of jamming, right? In, I get it. Get in it. Jazz, you're saying that jazz, you, you've got. I'm, uh, what I'm saying is that in jazz. If you see, for a jazz musician, I've we've both played, we played in a jazz trio together. Structures are organized. It is 16 bars of this, followed by 16 bars of this, back to 16 bars. And if you see a chord in one of those bars, and it doesn't matter what chord, if you see a chord, there are only, in jazz, there are only a certain amount of notes you can play that reflect that chord. I We're not going to get into this too far, um, but you have a chord. It's In jazz, it normally has four notes, root, third, fifth, and maybe a seventh. Those, plus a couple of others within a scale, are all you can play. Whereas blues... If you want to follow the rules. If you want to follow the rules. <laughs> yeah. But that's, but that's you know what yeah. jazz people are like. They follow With the blues, it's a bit more erratic and free. Well, yeah, you can try other scales that may or may not work. And it's usually, not, not every time, but usually blues is, is simpler in terms of chord progressions. Yes, like which allows... Less, less chords. Absolutely. Shorter uh, structures, and it, it does give you more freedom to... Exactly. To it, it gives elaborate you the, as a yeah. soloist instead of... And you know, try new things. Yeah. Because of what I said about that jazz chord, four notes, that's a very specific sound. Mm. If you play that chord in a piano, there are only a certain amount of notes that a trumpet, a guitar, a keyboard are going to be able to play no, over let's, that without let's put it like that. The, the notes that you would consider as wrong 
they're more acceptable sometimes in the, in a blues context. Yes, you can, you can try I a lot of so. stuff, and especially uh, the British blues at the time, because you got some psychedelic elements as well. Yeah, as which well. you know, and they were trying those things out. So they were not only doing blues jazz in a heavy yeah. way. They were yeah. trying some sort of experimental psychedelic kind of. Hippie, yeah, like exactly, because that. that was going around uh, at the end of the yeah. 60s as well. I just I just mentioned that. We just did that little quick jazz detour because I, I thought it was fascinating with yeah. two jazz musicians and a blues guitarist mm-hmm. trying to get together and saying, let's create something new. But to be honest, thank fuck they did because Cream <laughs> are incredible. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I've heard, the, <laughs> yeah, I've heard the hits for years, but it's only the last few weeks, actually, since we decided to do an episode that I really dug into their... Um, back catalogue and they've got some great stuff so let's start off with their 1966 album the first one that was called Fresh Cream which I love that's just so clever I mean normally if you're going to try and put a pun into an album title give it a few albums so that the fans and the media they start Fresh Cream by Cream (laughs) at least if you give it a few albums or years the fans and the media will say okay let's learn to let's let these guys be serious and then they can start joking Cream were in straight away maybe they knew they wouldn't last <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there's something I want to say, but it's a question in our segment. So I'm going to start a segment. This is the quiz. Well, I've got five questions for Felipe. Now let's see. Play along at home as usual. Put your answers in the comments and everything. I just said fuck. Does that make the episode explicit? I did That'll it. I great. did it thirty seconds ago because I said thank fuck. Yeah. Cream, cream. So it's started. explicit. All of the episodes are explicit, That's just in amazing. case. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a time where we go shit or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we never notice it when we're recording. Then when yeah. I go back and listen to it, Felipe's been like, "And I listened to this, and holy shit, man, it was good." <laughs> so, so there's always a swear word somewhere in our episode. Anyway, right, here's the quiz. Question one. Who did the band jam with in London in October 1966? Well, that's very specific. And I, oh, I wasn't there, was I? October 66. Who did they jam it with? It was one of their first oh, sort of performances. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hendrix. Yes. Well yes. done. One out of one. <laughs> Question two. On the album Goodbye, there is a songwriter credited as Langelo Misterioso. Do you know who that is? If it's the song Badge, then would be George Harrison. Correct. Yes. <laughs> so George Harrison co-wrote the song Badge on Cream's last album, and they didn't put George Harrison on I the didn't notes. Know that. They put <laughs> they put Langelo Misterioso, which I think means the mysterious angel. Yeah. Which I'm fine yeah. with George Harrison being called that. That's fine. Right. Question three. Baker and Bruce went on to form another trio called BBM. With which famous rock guitarist? Oh. I'll help you out. B, B, M, Baker, Bruce, M. Of course it's Baker and Bruce, right? It's yeah. not helping that much. Oh, no, at least you know um, the guitarist's name begin with, begins with M. <laughs> uh, or surname, I should say. What's his name? Wait a minute. God, I knew that. B, B, M. B, B, M. Gary Moore. Yeah, well done. Yes. Yeah, well done. Gary Moore of Thin Lizzy. That's three it. out of three, man. Incredible. Um, question four. 
Which famous album was recorded in Baker's newly built Nigerian studio in 1973? Oh, I think I'll pass that one. 1973? 1973. A very famous album was recorded in Ginger Baker's newly built studio in Nigeria. Wow, famous album. By another British band. Yes. Jeez. Was it The Stones? No, it wasn't. Uh, Was it Zeppelin? No Zeppelin, no. No, past... No, okay. The album was Band on the Run. Whoa, I would never... Paul McCartney and Wings went to Nigeria. Yeah, they went to Nigeria to Baker's studio to record. I don't know if they were there on tour or something, but... I bet bet Ginger Baker said they were crap. Because everyone was crap for him. Anyway, question five. Why did they name themselves Cream? Because they thought they were the cream of the musicians. They were the right? cream of the crop, the which is a saying. Is that a worldwide saying or is it British? You know, it's, wor- yeah, it's worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. So well, they- we can say, um, yeah, we, we could just say the, the cream, like uh, uh, in, in, Latin in Portuguese. Language. Yeah, and that yeah, would make sense. Yeah. Perfect. So they knew, <laughs> Clapton knew that he was British Blues's best guitarist, and Baker and Bruce knew that they were Jazz's best. Uh, rhythm section. So they thought they were the with the best with the cream of the crop. That's <laughs> cream. So like again, the confidence to call your first album yeah. Fresh Cream and to call yourselves Cream because you knew you were the best three guys in the country. My God, the sheer arrogance! But that, I mean, yeah, it's deserved. That means it? you know, yeah, you know, you know how good you are, isn't it? That's exactly, why my yeah. next band is going to be called um, Shit Shitty and the Shitters. <laughs> That's, that's very honest. Stay tuned for the next for when his band comes out. And the new album, holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> anyway, well done, mate. That's four out of five. Really yeah. good. Well done. Too if, bad, you, isn't it? if you followed along, let us know in the comments and uh, everything how you did. Um excellent. So the first album, as we said, Fresh Cream, um, released in 66. Interestingly, half of the tracks are blues covers. Or covers of what we call blues standards, so standard songs that most blues musicians should know. And the other half were originals, written yeah. by Baker and Bruce. What are your thoughts on the first album? I have I absolutely love the first song. Is it I Feel Free, the first song? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. they start with vocal harmonies and humming, and it's like, it's just so... Um, how can I put it? It's it's subtle, and it's it builds up. It's not like... It's not like a a punch in your face from the first song. It's much more psychedelic than bluesy or or jazzy. And it just, you know, they take it from there and they build up. And it's it's got a really nice vibe to it. Mm. I think the whole whole first album has a vibe. Yeah. You get it feel like you're in the 60s. It does deliver that as well as Pink Floyd does with uh, the Piper and the Gates of Dawn. I think it's the same sort of psychedelic vibe. Yeah, it's, it's not the same kind of music, but it does create that. Uh, uh, environment and you feel surrounded by the psychedelic vibe throughout the whole album that's how I feel about it yeah no I agree I think the first album what it did is it, it definitely introduced who Cream were to us and I don't think it's any surprise when you listen to this and think wow this is just a, a blues album Yeah, maybe with some heavier elements with some rockier stuff um, but it's just the blues music with electric guitars and distorted and I think it's um it's a very yeah very very good album and one one that needed to happen for them because when you come in with a new kind of music that they were eventually going to deliver in their next two albums you've got to sort of set a marker and say this is where we've come from and this yeah. is Cream as we know it now 
And I believe the first song is really important. Yes, yeah, the first song, the first album. I think, interestingly, what you said about that is that it's got that... um, it's got a kind of a, almost a doo-wop feel about it, yep. you know, with the and very yes, lovely. That isn't is it? A, and that's here's the thing: when they start with that kind of humming and, and harmonizing at the beginning, you have no idea where they're going to take you to. No, no, exactly, yeah. <laughs> because all it the things we're talking anywhere. about, all, all the, the the bluesy, jazzy elements, and and the distorted guitars and the experimentation, all that stuff we're talking about, you can't guess. From the beginning. Whilst yeah. when you listen to um, the Beatles' first album or Zeppelin's, like the very first song, the very first chords, you know where they're going to take you. Yes, yeah. The they intent make is a there clear the statement. This is what we're doing for the whole album. With Cream, was it was a lot more subtle, and I like that. Exactly. Um, did you know Toad mm. is the earliest example of a drum solo in rock music? Yeah, and it's the is a template for drum solos. Do you want to talk yeah. about that for a bit as a drummer? Talking, Tell us, yeah. talking about drums, yes. <laughs> so t- Felipe is going to talk to us Felipe about Toad. Felipe likes the drums. Yeah, and as usual, any song we mention is going straight into the playlist that's attached to this episode. So feel free to listen to this playlist along with the podcast or afterwards or before. Whatever suits your needs, the songs will be in there. Tell us about Toad. Right, Toad is like, as I said, is a template for for um, drum solos in rock context. Because when you listen to a, well, let's put it like that: before rock drummers, um, drum soloing belonged to jazz, jazz yes. music. You know, you don't see the blues drummers uh, soloing uh, very often. So you see jazz drummers soloing maybe once per set or something. And again, you have that formula and you have this structure that you have, the, like, let's say, the 32 bars AABA form, and the drummer's going to solo over that form. Even if the whole band stops playing, nine out of ten jazz solos are based on that form and they're going to be playing over that form and going back to the music. So, like, for anyone like, who wants to know, just quickly, yeah. um, AABA form in jazz is 32 bars. 32 bars, eight of section A, repeating section A, another eight bars, different section B of eight bars, and back to section A. So, eight, 16, can, 24, can, 32. Very I think it's important. It's nice to, yeah. <laughs> uh, just anyone who wants to know what a jazz AABA yeah. form is, there yeah, you check go. Check it out. Yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, so you have that, you know, that kind of formula for soloing. And Toad is just like, okay, we're going to play a riff. You know, the band's going to jam together over that riff. And then we stop all together. And the drummer goes nuts. And then we <laughs> come back to the riff and end the song, right? Yeah. So that's what happened with Moby Dick. So when Zeppelin came with that, yeah. and that's probably the most famous drum solo ever. Um, but the formula wasn't created by them. Okay. It was it was taken from Cream's Toad, for yeah. sure. You know, I mean, it's, I, I I didn't do a research on that. It, no, it, but you, you it's know, just you obvious. Know. Yeah, you know your stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. Yeah, you know, what I mean? so so uh, I think so. The interesting point with that is like, okay, give the drummer some, but for real. Yeah, that's just you. You play whatever, and he managed to squeeze into that solo every single one of his influences. He plays on the toms as he's doing like African percussion, and you can hear that. Okay. It sounds like percussion. It sounds like tribal music. And then he plays the snare as Louis Belson or, or, or Gene Krupa or, or Buddy Rich or Art Blakey. He brings the jazz elements into it. There's a, there's one uh, section of the solo. He's just playing the right cymbal as a jazz drummer would do as well. So you got all those elements mm. of early jazz drumming, but with African percussion 
and and just like experimenting around all of that. And there is a story being told by the drums. On the other hand, is it's free. It's not yeah. like why well, need to stay on this path? Yeah, three bars left. Path. You know, no, like, yeah, yeah none could, of that he stuff. He could go nuts, and that's really cool. And um, fascinating, yeah. Though, that we were talking. You know, I think Cream historically and critically, you look at them and you think, okay, well, they did so much for the progression, as we've mentioned before, of American blues coming to Britain and shaping British blues rock. And then the rest is history. But we, we, I don't think people consider enough what, for example, they have done for jazz to an extent. I'm not saying that what oh, yeah, they did yeah, in yeah. Toad because, is... Because, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying what they did in Toad is revolutionary and it changed jazz music. That's not true. But you've got a jazz musician applying what he knows and his influences about jazz, uh, into, about jazz into another genre. Yeah. Two other genres, then, blues and blues rock. Yeah. If you're doing that, that means, you know, you 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 are um kind of giving all the other musicians of all other styles uh, a chance to copy you. Like let's put it like that. Yeah. So look what I'm doing here. You can go nuts as well if you want, because I did it. I did it before. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I'm the one to blame. Uh, but yeah. I'm, and if anyone gets to say to modern musicians, you can do what you want, Ginger, Bre- Ginger Baker's the boss. Yes. <laughs> also, I recommend a documentary. Uh, I think it's called Beware of Mr. Baker. Beware of Mr. Baker. Okay, we'll put a link. If it's on YouTube or something, we'll stick a link yeah. in, the, in the show Just check notes. it out. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so he... Um, so... He was probably for most people at the time the first drummer who who was kind of the the star of the band, really. Yeah. You know, to the same yeah. extent as everyone else in the band. It's not like, yeah, it, you know. First of all, That's you have two singers. Yeah, right? I That's agree. interesting. Both Clapton and Jack Bruce were singing. Although I, I think Jack Bruce was singing more. Um, but, Baker Baker sung a lot as well. Just so yeah. you know, because I, I didn't realize oh, yeah. until I did a bit of research. But Baker you see, but you see those two guys as frontmen. Yes, right? yes, yes, agreed. Yeah. Singing and playing guitars, right? yeah, guitar and bass. Uh, but you have a drummer who's like soloing and overplaying, you know, <laughs> yeah. and is loud and 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 flashy. So there's no way you're not going to notice him. So he was. Uh, um, he was a star in the band as well, not only not only a timekeeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, but each member became a star in their own way for their own instruments. Yeah. Um, but that's as their sound developed. But um, yeah, Fresh Cream uh, got to number six in the UK charts, which I think is um, that was you could have guessed that because you've got yeah. these British musicians doing their thing. Only got to number thirty nine in the US though, which is interesting because in nineteen sixty seven. They released their second album, which was called Disraeli Gears. Now, Disraeli Gears got to the top five in the UK and the US. Now, it's interesting, it's important to note that between the release of Fresh Cream and Disraeli Gears, there was a US tour and they went to the US and they showed their music. And obviously, it was taken very well. Why wouldn't it be? You've got the influences of American jazz in Ginger and Jack's playing, and you've got the influences of American blues in Clapton's playing, formed and moulded into this new British blues rock. Um, so the Americans must have loved it because the next album came out and went straight to the top five. Well, and well, and you got to consider the same way they couldn't play the blues like the Americans, and then the Americans were kind of amazed by the fact that no one could play. The British blues, like yes. the British, of course. Yes. So that's the that's the cultural uh, background I was talking about. You come from a different place in life. That's going to be reflected on your music. There's there's no no way to escape that. And I imagine for someone in another continent, 
especially before Google and YouTube and all this stuff, yeah. to hear that kind of music and think, well, this relates to what we do here, but it's so different. Yeah, yeah. You know? Just hearing the influences must yeah. be really nice. Uh, so that was released in November 1967, so 11 months after the release of Fresh Cream. Um, some important things about this album is that when I heard it, it still had the same bass, B-A-S-E, in the blues, but their sound was changing. It wasn't blue. It wasn't hard blues with electric guitars or with distorted guitars. It was hard blues with now more of a psychedelic influence. Yeah, I felt. it's even more psychedelic. Than it the is first. more. And if another thing to point towards this is go and look at the album cover for Disraeli Gears because it is so psychedelic and it was so unusual for the time. Don't forget, you got Hendrix with "Are You Experienced" and "Axis Bold as uh, uh, Axis Bold as Love." Check out those album covers because they're very psychedelic and trippy and very hippie-esque and yeah. cream followed suit with the cover of Disraeli Gears. So it seems like quite a lot of this album was, I'm not going to say based around the psychedelic thing, but taking influence from the psychedelic movement, the psychedelic rock movement, rock movement that was happening in and around the UK at that time. Yeah. Yeah, you can clearly hear that in the album. It's it's there on the first album, but more evident from the second one. And um, maybe that's the reason why it sold more, because it, it, it really took them to... A different, uh, a different level. I think so. Yeah, I mean, you've got that song, "The Tales of Brave Ulysses," which is very psychedelic out of all of them. Um, but again, like I said, I think Disraeli Gears—they find their sound. You've got "Strange Brew" is the song on there, and "Sunshine of Your Love," which is arguably, well, no, it probably is Cream's most famous song. Now, that is very an interesting song because it has the psychedelic element there, it has the rock element there, but the main riff. Do, 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 do. that's based around the minor blues scale so it's called a minor pentatonic um, or you could call it the minor blues and it's it's got the characteristics of what blues musicians would be playing during solos yeah. they based the riff around that stuck a distorted guitar on it made it a bit psychedelic and you've got Sunshine of Your Love which is just a phenomenal song do you, you like got, that song? I love that song and it's and it's got like very distinctive uh, um, sections. Like when it changes to 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 the, the second part of the song, yeah, is a completely different song. Yes, uh, it, do you mean the I've been waiting? Yeah. Yes, yeah. It's it like is. what is it the same song really? And and then it it, it goes back to the distorted guitars and gets you know yeah, louder you're right, you're and right. heavier. It takes you to it, another it level just, for a yeah, second, doesn't it? Bam, bam, bam. It goes yeah. into that riff for the second yeah, part. Good like, point, man. Well, you wouldn't. I, first time I've, I've heard that, so I was like, "What's going on here? <laughs> where where are they going with this?" Because it's like it, it doesn't seem to relate to the first part. Yeah, and because it's slightly bluesy at the beginning, you think it's going to be somehow predictable. Yeah, and it's not. They're definitely not uh, uh, predictable in any sense. That's no, what I like. I agree. About them, I agree. Yeah. Um, excellent. Well, after Disraeli Gears, uh, we have the Wheels of Fire album. The best-selling. Yes. It? Yeah. And I'll, my favorite, too. Um, this, for me, is the Cream signature sound. Uh, I, I feel Cream, this for this album, have arrived to where they wanted to. Um, it has the hard rock. It has the blues. It has the psychedelia. But there's not. it's not like any one of those three aspects comes through more than the others. It is the perfect balance, I feel, between all of those. That is the cream sound so, for me. Isn't it White Room the perfect definition 
of what you just said. Yeah, is it that is. balance? Because if imagine if that song started straight with the vocals, yeah, right, that could be a pop or rock song. Yes, from that point, if you start from that point and you stick to that kind of stuff, is a solid groove, uh, a a strong vocal line. And it starts from the chorus, pretty much, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of really strong. So if if you just do that part, then yeah, that's that's a more predictable thing, mm. and it's and it's more commercial, I would say. Yeah. But they start with a five four bar. So this is what something I've got in my notes. One, two, three, four, counting one two three four five. So I've got my notes. Odd time signatures for this album. They that's the psychedelic element. That's the yeah. proggy psychedelic side of it that they were incorporating. Because I think the comfort zone for rock and roll is four four. Yes, one yeah. two three four all the way, and they went to five for the intro. And Ginger Baker is doing that kind of percussion vibe because it's playing the toms, you know, the low toms instead instead of. Uh, snares and cymbals and stuff. So the intro sounds a bit dark and a bit yeah. tribal, and it's a weird time signature for rock music. It so is, yeah. So a... for those who aren't sure or what we're talking about, when you um, when you count a song, songs are in time signatures, which normally in Western music is four four. You put four beats in a bar: one, two, three, four; one, two, three, four. It's familiar. It's even. There's a nice sort of grouping between yeah. it. They start the song in five four. So go and listen to White Room, and you'll hear. Bam, da, 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 two, three, four, five, da, 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 da. There you go. That's what it is. So it, it's it an is. uneasy time signature because you've, you've heard your four, you're satisfied, you're waiting for the next one, yeah. but the fifth if, one comes. Yeah, it feels like it's slightly longer than it should be if, if you're used to, to yeah. counting in four. And also, it, it creates that tension, isn't it? Yeah, the way they it. play that intro, there's not, you know, the chord lasts for a bit longer than you would expect and the drums are kind of dark and yes, yeah. tribal again. For for an example of a song in 5-4 the whole way through, there is a song from the musical Jesus Christ Superstar that I'm going to put in the playlist just for reference, just so you hear how a, a song, uh, how a pop song could be written in 5-4. Um, but yeah, Wheels of Fire, I mean, I love this album. It's recorded over a series of sessions between uh, before June 68, but also there's a few live tracks on the album which are... Uh, they they play it towards the end, or they put it towards the end of the album. Um, Arf, yeah, sorry. Charles Rhodes is on this album. Yes, yeah. so that, and that's another Cream classic, even though it's not theirs. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. one that they made it's their Robert own. Johnson's, isn't it? That's right. Um, Wheels of Fire sort of signified the end of Cream. So that's when they actually decided to end the band. I right? yes, that album. that's it. So uh, ooh, it could more. even have been before. Um, let me see my notes. According to my notes, it was in late '68 they decided to disband. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, because I've got it here. And so I got yeah. notes today. You're so right. How, He's on it. I'm the one who, uh, you know, lads, come on. <laughs> you're right. May '68. Yeah, you're right. Announcing. So they, what they would do is towards the end of this band, they decided that they were actually going to go out for one last hurrah. They were going to go and do a 22 day US tour and two, only two shows in the UK. Poor UK. Yeah. The US get 22 shows and the UK gets two. It's just an island, isn't it? It's just an island, just yeah. travel to the city and watch the gear go back home. Um, Don't now, let, it. <laughs> it's small anyway, isn't it? Um, let's talk about the reasons Cream broke up. What are your thoughts and what do you know to well, that extent? Well, I was talking about how, <clears throat> how unpredictable the music was, but how predictable their behaviour was. And as... We said at the beginning the, the the reason for the end is it, it was 
he was kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, it was the reason why they didn't want to get together at the first place, pretty much. Yeah. Clapton had to convince them to be together, right? So they Baker tried to make it Bruce, work. Yeah. Baker and Bruce couldn't get along. It wouldn't work. Right. And that's it. So too yeah. much animosity between the two of them uh, to the point they couldn't. The thing about being a musician, uh, especially touring, is you obviously going to spend a lot more time hanging out with people than actually playing with them. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter how brilliant the music is if you're going to spend the rest of your day with you know with someone that you don't like. Yeah. So obviously that wouldn't work. And probably Clapton knew that, and they knew that as well. But yeah, it was so the 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 the. the Conflict between Baker and, and, and Bruce was the, too much. The reason. Actually, it all um, kind of came to fruition when they were doing their jams. Because for those who don't know, Cream wrote their songs by jamming in a room together, um, playing riffs off each other, you know, solo, normal jams. Improvising. Improvising, yeah. soloing, making stuff up and all that stuff. It got too loud. Cream were notorious for playing their jams too loud which means it's time for a new segment well not a new segment a new installment of a new segment how rock and roll is that so in this segment we are asking how rock and roll is that about specific situations or stories that we've heard from these rock bands from around the globe today we are asking how rock and roll is jamming and writing songs as a band in a room together at such high volumes <laughs> that it has permanently affected Ginger Baker's hearing. How rock on the scale of zero Ooh. to a hundred? How rock and roll is it that you've lost your hearing because you wrote some of the most iconic blues rock songs? Improvising, improvising as well. Yeah, which is like proper musical freedom. Um, it's not only writing and structuring, but improvising. How rock and roll is that, Felipe? That is tough, man. Does it get any more rock and roll than that? Well, we gave we gave Deep Purple 95 for writing Highway Star on the way to a gig and perfecting it when they sound checked it. So where would you put this? For the loudness, I'll give 97 for that. 97? There we go. That's the score. So Should 97. You lose your hearing jamming with your band because you're way too loud. And, you know, nowadays people... Um, People write songs on a computer, right? Even rock bands do that a lot. Yeah, you do pre-production without meeting your your bandmates, and yeah. you, you don't you don't jam together. You know, you know, for most of the bands, and the essence of the that sort of rock and roll from the sixties and seventies was people jamming and creating on the spot together. So if you're creating, you know, if you're jamming. Uh, you're going to be using someone else's ideas immediately. Someone plays a note, you follow that note, or you try to lead them somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, it's different than playing by yourself at home. So uh, that is, for me, the essence of a rock band, is to be able to do everything uh, um, with improvisation. Every Like the creative process is not one guy doing stuff yeah. as a band. So it matches. you're jamming and you chill out. Yeah. That's rock and roll. We'll give them a nice Ginger Baker <laughs> says, it damaged my hearing permanently and today I've still got a hearing problem because of the sheer volume throughout the last year of Cream. Now, something when else you say that, that you he know? said that, uh, no, I don't know when he said that actually, um, but he was talking about 68, the last year yeah. of Cream. Now, something else I read that was hilarious is that 
the quality but and differences of guitar amplifiers changed so much from 65 through to 69. So every year, Clapton and Bruce were getting these new amplifiers that were bigger, better, and louder. And Ginger Baker couldn't compete with them. So these, Clapton's getting these new amps coming through the door, and they're like, oh my God, it's That's louder so than the last Spino one. That's so Spinotap, isn't it? This, I mean, one, this goes he, to 11. Just to quote Spinotap again, uh, good rock and roll should hurt. <laughs> good rock and roll should hurt. It should change your life, but... Not necessarily for the better. <laughs> Ginger Baker is the living embodiment of that quote. Exactly. And we got changed his life. Not not necessarily for the better. And we got our episodely Spinal Tap quote in. So well done. (laughs) Um, Another thing that really sort of annoyed Cream was the touring. Um, Jack Bruce said, travel can kill a group. You know, which just goes back to what you were saying. You've got to spend time with these people. You've got to have an understanding. If anyone saw our tour diary series thing about top touring tips from me and Felipe, you've got to be comfortable. You've got to have what you need around you so that when you're on the road, when you're on the bus, when you're in the van with the same three or four guys for a month, you've got to have your own space. Even if it's just in here, you've got to be mentally ready to be, to, to, to not have your own space for a month. Yeah. And those guys, I mean, if you have big eagles like, like, like that, in a band, yeah. but they call themselves the cream. Well, so. <laughs> here's, yeah, here's an interesting quote from Clapton. We, we've obviously spoken before about the talent of these three guys and what they did for themselves in their own little groups before forming Cream. Clapton said that Cream's later gigs consisted mainly of its members showing off, hmm. which I That's think it. it's an interesting quote because if you ever look at their live performances, they're a very busy band. For just three people, they're a very busy band. It's too many notes sometimes, isn't it? Too many notes sometimes. And, and Clapton was saying that's how it ended. Yeah, and you, you think you you can do that, like for three albums. And you know what? Thanks fuck they didn't carry on doing that. Yeah. yeah. You know, because they, they have a, such a perfect... Uh, uh, um, Balance. Uh, yeah, and, and a great discography. Everything they release is good. Yeah. So they, they split up before it turned to shit. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And again, we spoke out about this with Credence, do you remember? Yeah. Episode four, where we said, thank God they stopped then because we remember Credence and Cream for what they've done. If they'd have done six more albums that were awful after, then the memory wouldn't be so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so after that, their final show, uh, well, the final show for a while was November 1968 at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Um, and it was recorded and released as Cream's farewell concert, but it hasn't gone down in history because they played very badly. Mm. They were just so fed up of being with each other and playing the songs. Okay. And yeah, they, they've even said, um, Ginger Baker said, it wasn't a good gig. Cream were better than that. We knew it was all over. We knew we were just finishing it off, getting it over with. So very sad to hear that. And I think had the same way, again, going back to Credence, Credence ended at a certain point and they never played together again. Had Cream ended there, I think that would be a sad moment in rock history. But they've played together a few more times since then and the relationships have been uh, amicable. It's been pleasant. They played together in the... uh, in 1993, when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they just did three songs um, and they rehearsed the day before. That's a little one-off, you know. I wouldn't, yeah. I, but but it's what not a proper gig? No. What like... matters most though is at Clapton's request, 
They did four shows at the Royal Albert Hall in London in 2005. That was the proper farewell show. Talk to us a bit about them. Yeah, so I've I've watched the DVD where it came out. Fascinating, isn't it? Amazing. It is amazing. And there's there's an interesting thing there. It's like, well, you've got those guys now recorded with better equipment, right? Yeah. And, you know, loads of cameras, cameras behind the drum kit, all the stuff you couldn't get back in the day. And I think it's it's just what they deserved as a proper farewell album or, or show. Yeah. And they deserved uh, to be remembered as that. Obviously, they don't have the youth. They don't have the same energy yeah. as when, when they were young, but they're playing well enough. They are. And, I mean, and it's just, it, sound, it sounds uh, uh, as clean as it should be and as noisy as it should be. Yeah. It's all there. It's balanced. Exactly. I love that. I, love I know. That they actually then planned a few months later to do three shows at Madison Square Garden in October. Actually, they didn't plan it. They did it. And unfortunately, they were not as good. They had a lack of rehearsals and Baker and Bruce got into arguments again before those shows. It's like, come on, guys. Three more shows. Just, just, <laughs> it's still fine. Fuck's sake. Just, just stay. It's just three more shows. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing we haven't actually mentioned is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing to consider an album, but in 1969, they did release the album Goodbye. Um, it was an album released to mark the end of Cream. Three live tracks written in, um, recorded in 68 and three other tracks, including George Harrison's badge along with that as an album. Is it really an album? Is it really a Cream album? I think when you say to people Cream albums, you think of the first three. I don't think yeah. you think of Goodbye like too badge, much. Though. That's a good badge is like brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that brings us to the end of Cream's history, really. Um, I think we've got a lot of pleasant stuff in there. The music, the... Yeah. The, the, the sound and the innovations they were bringing to blues rock. And unfortunately, again, just like with Credence, the, the relationships within the band sort of marred, yeah. marred what the band could have been. But at the same time, like you said, maybe it's good we didn't get any more Cream albums. Exactly. And it's good that they got together for that one uh, final live recording. Yeah. You know, because now Clapton's the only, uh, you know, surviving um, exactly. member of the band. And at least the other two did that with him. Yeah. For, well, here's away. an interesting quote to, to, to sort of finalise this. From Clapton, the thing about that band, Cream, was that it was that it was all to do with its limits. It was an experiment. Yeah. So from the very start, you knew the limits. You know, Clapton knew the tension between Baker and Bruce. He knew that they couldn't go on jamming and writing songs at that volume for, you know, yeah. years and years. It would just it would be too too damaging. Um, but that's it it was an experiment it was an experiment that succeeded and failed but the success matters more I think yeah excellent shall we end with a segment we will we're going to end with a segment and we're going to do our top five Cream songs so these will all be in the uh, playlist but here are Laz and Felipe's top five So, oh, to kick five. us off, uh, we'll do the 5544 five, thing. Yeah? All right, let's okay. see how it goes. My fifth favourite Cream song, Sunshine of Your Love. Iconic riff, heavy distorted guitar, introducing blues psychedelic rock to the world. My number five, Toad. Toad, brilliant, yeah, of course. Drone yeah. solo, you know. Of course. Yeah. My fourth favourite song is Sitting on Top of the World. Um, love it, very bluesy. Um, 
that's that lazy shuffle to it is just fantastic. I kid you not. You can read it here. My number four, <laughs> sitting on the top of the you world. Brilliant. <laughs> well, then, my, uh, do you want to add anything about sitting on top of the world? Or? I, I just love the, 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 the lazy approach. Yeah, there, that's, that's, that's what it. is just yeah, so yeah. lazy. Yeah, is the best way you can describe it. My third favourite Cream song is a song called Dreaming, which is off of the first album. And it's a very, you know the one? Oh, it's a 6-8, yeah. yeah, yeah dreaming yeah, kind of a, about a ballad, my yeah. love. It's lovely. It's so unusual. It stands yeah. out on the album. Uh, your number three, sir? White Room. White Room. For all the reasons we've mentioned before. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. My second favourite Cream song, Politician. I don't know that one. I don't remember oh, that one. Oh, you don't? I don't remember. Oh, right. I've listened to all the albums. We're going to do a segment. That. When he gets time, Felipe's going to react to Politician. Okay. And that'll be a video coming out in the next few weeks, all right? To Politician, the song, not a politician. No. I, don't <laughs> react I won't make you listen to Boris. <laughs> yeah, the song Politician. Dissonant, dark... Heavy, but a blues song. Wow! About politicians. Um, I want it. I want it. Yeah, the first lyric: "Enough, baby, get into my big black car." <laughs> That's wow. how the song starts. You're gonna love it. Your second favorite song, sir. Um, I feel free. Oh, first song, first album. Beautiful. You know, psychedelic. Free. Yeah, uh, it is. Because it me- could be a hippie a tune. It if is, you listen yeah. to it out of context and not within the album, it could be a song before the instruments kind of uh, uh, um, come together in that song. Yeah. Before, before the band sounds like a band, when it's just the vocals and stuff, it's just so beautiful and clean and it's perfect. Lovely. Again, you don't know where they're going to take you. That's what yeah. I like about them. My favorite Cream song. He's already mentioned it. White Room. For me, it's the epitome of Cream. Um, I love that they used it on the end of that movie, Joker. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I don't know what, what, what much more to say. Go and listen to that song. I, I absolutely love it. Your favourite Cream song? That's uh, an unusual one. Strange Brew. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell it's you got why. an energy I'll, to it, hasn't it? it, it I'll tell you why. Because um, we, we tend to see Cream as a band of great instrumentalists. So you sometimes forget about how good the songwriting is. When you strip a song down to acoustic guitar and vocals, you see, you actually, you can actually tell if the melody and the lyrics are, are good enough to tell the story without great musicians playing them. I had a friend of mine, I'm going to, uh, I have to mention his name, Marcus Marangon. So shout out to my friend Marcus. He used to play this song on his acoustic guitar like he used to keep to loop the song for hours. Really? He loved the song and he was playing it. And uh, uh, I was listening to that song. I was like, wow, isn't it so beautiful? Just the melody and the lyrics with just an acoustic guitar. And you don't even think that's a cream song because yeah. there's no drum fills, no, no bass. If you just listen to the melody, it's still a perfect song to me. So that's why I have this kind of uh, emotional memory of this song. That's a lovely uh, description. Played, yeah, played yeah. acoustically, but. Lovely description. What, yeah, what a song. Yeah. Strange Brew. Totally recommend There you go. That, yeah, so listen to all of those. Um, I know we've got a couple that are the same, um, but they'll all be in the playlist. And I think that's a good place to end the episode. Any final things you want to say about Cream? Uh, loud. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they want to hear. That's what Cream wanted to hear from fans. Yeah, they're going to be remembered as loud, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. I think that Cream have such a an important historic place in music because it, it kick-started... It, it kick-started the, the idea in Britain that you can really take an another idea and 
roll with it in terms of this blue stuff. They we know that Clapton did his stuff with John Mayle, with John Mayle and Alexis Corner and everything, but Cream was when he did his own ideas and took them into a hard rock sense, a psychedelic rock sense. Even we were saying the, the start of I Feel Free and Dreaming, that's yeah. like doo-wop with blues influence. Yeah. He took his idea of what he wanted blues to be for him yeah. and took it to levels that I don't think anyone could have predicted. So they, they, they came about, they've changed the history of a whole genre and they disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Beautifully. I don't know if they changed the history so much as created a new genre. Yeah. They create, I think they created British blues rock. There you go. I think that's a fair thing. Unless, you know, I'll do some, <laughs> I don't want to be no, sued. I don't yeah. want to be sued by a band who say, no, we were the first one. Well, but it was a statement. Cream, Cream made a statement with their music, with their album, and even with their egos. And I'm so glad that we got them. And they were short and sharp you know what I mean they came oh, to the point it was an experiment it. it was an experiment they came they delivered the message and they disappeared in a couple of years they came they jammed and they conquered and they were loud and they were loud yeah <laughs> so anyway I think that's a great place to leave it thank you again guys for joining us for another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast as per usual we are on all the social medias on Instagram and Twitter we, we are uh, Twitter 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 on Instagram and that's the posh version Twitter uh, we are at Long Live RNR pod and on Facebook and YouTube you can just search the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast we cut and put all of the episodes and segments onto our YouTube now so go there if you prefer a visual uh, a visual experience compared to an oral one um, but can I just say yeah. find us on the internet sounds so much cooler fine find we us are on, on the, the internet. internet you know the internet that thing Go- google yeah. long live rock and roll podcast yeah. and you'll find the way go on the internet anyway yeah find us thank We're you there, yeah exactly thank you for joining us guys final words uh, keep on rocking everyone and as usual long live rock and roll <laughs>